morning. The reading today is from Genesis 3, 124. It's a long reading. <laughs> now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing God good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed thick leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants in the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of the all living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man was now, has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand, and take also from the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life 
This is the word of the Lord. And I, I give you credit for enduring that entire reading. That was the whole chapter three of Genesis. And we've looked at that a few times lately in the past couple of months and specifically looking at it with different topics in mind. And today we're going to look at this from the perspective of creation care, what it means for us to care for the creation which God has called us to. And I know some of you, as soon as you hear that, as soon as you see crumbling earth and you see creation care, you start to ask yourselves, is this another political stump speech? I thought we said a couple of weeks ago that we weren't going to get dogmatic about politics, and we're not. Truth is, this isn't a political stump speech. This is about the full counsel of God and about what God calls us to know and to do and specifically what God calls us to care for in the world as he cares for us. That's what creation care is all about. It's all about recognizing the world in which we live is crumbling and God calls us to have a unique posture and position in it, a unique calling as his people to care for those things that he cares about. Well, you know, when you look around and you think about creation around you, you think about creation even in our community, well, there are times when you will recognize that we have somewhat of an adversarial relationship with creation, right? You, you look at the way that kind of creation treats us and you think, creation doesn't think all that highly of us. It doesn't seem to work the way it's supposed to work. There's a lot of brokenness around us, brokenness that we see in all sorts of ways. Let me, let me illustrate it for you like this. Kate and I have lived around the country in several different states. Um, we lived for, uh, for about five years in Arizona, um, and for those of you that have never lived in Arizona, specifically in the Phoenix Valley in the desert area, uh, I want to tell you something that you might not know. The desert is hot. <laughs> I mean hot, right? And everyone wants to talk about, everyone wants to talk about the, the daily high, right? Oh, it's 117 degrees today in Phoenix. Well, that's one thing. The hardest part of the heat in Phoenix is that it doesn't stop. It's the overnight low that you have to deal with. It's common in Arizona in the summer months for the overnight low to be 90 degrees. So walk out of your house at five o'clock in the morning when it's still dark and it's 90 degrees outside and it never stops. So we moved from Arizona to Michigan. For those of you that don't know about Michigan in the winter, Michigan is really cold. I mean, it's really cold. And then you have the, the effect of having the lakes surrounding it. And so people used to get mad at me because like around November when it would start to cloud over, I'd say, goodbye, son. I'll see you again in March. And then we moved to Indiana. We thought we're, we're free of the effect of the lakes. We're not in the desert anymore. And we found a place that in the summer is almost as hot as Arizona and in the winter is almost as cold as Michigan. <laughs> Sometimes on the same day, Pastor Dan said in the other service. Right? It seems like we kind of have an adversarial relationship with creation around us. And nothing seems to work exactly the way it seems like it should. And so what should our response be in the midst of this? What should our response be to the, to the world in decay, to the crumbling world all around us? Well, some, some would have us say, well, the world's going to be destroyed by fire anyway at the end of all things, so who cares just to exploit it? And there are others on the other side who will say, you know what? The world is given to us, and so we should care for it as our mother. So which is it? Well, you know the biblical truth is always somewhere in the middle. 
And what we know from the scriptures is first and foremost that God calls us to care for creation, not to exploit it, to, to care for creation that is around us. In fact, we are told that we are stewards of all of creation. You know the word steward, right? Because the word steward always occurs in the sermon series about time, talent, and treasures, right? And around that sermon series, it remind you you're stewards of all things and all things belong to God. And I could pull the Pastor Dan for you again and say, all things belong to God. How many things belong to God? Right, I even got his hand gesture down, right? Although he told me I'm supposed to use both hands. Right, all things belong to God and we steward them because he gives them to us to care for as if they were our own. But we recognize that they're not. They belong to God. And so we are to steward these things, to take care of it. In fact, Genesis 2, before the fall, it says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. It's been the calling since the beginning. And the fall didn't change that. In fact, look at Psalm 8, a psalm which is fairly familiar to many of you, where the psalmist says this, What is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you cared for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the work of your hands. The work of whose hands? God's, right? Your hands, God. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and everything that swims in the paths of the seas. God has given us this to steward, to care for it, to be the way that these things are sustained. This is what God called us to do. But, but what about that objection? that it will all be destroyed by fire at the end because the Bible absolutely says that. In fact, look at 2 Peter chapter 3. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought we to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and listen to this, and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. And you see, in this very passage, it's describing the fact that all things will be destroyed by fire at the end. It's also saying that we are to speed the coming of these things, and we are to anticipate them. And what that means is that as we care for creation, as we care for the broken world around us, we are doing so in defiance of the old order of things. We are saying we know that that's the way it will be at the end of all things. And so we want to lean into the new creation which will come about through Jesus Christ alone. As the creator makes things new, I want to lean into that, to press forward to that and to speed its coming. Let me illustrate it for you in a little bit different way. This is gonna be great for all of you who are confirmation students right now because you wonder what does my confirmation work have to do with anything? Well, it has to do with this sermon. So you got that going for you, right? When you think about the Lord's Prayer each one of the petitions, the parts of the Lord's Prayer is broken out and there's an explanation of each one. And the explanations of them are fairly similar. In fact, I'll use one like this. Thy kingdom come, right? We pray that in the middle of it. Thy kingdom come. And the explanation of it says this. It says the kingdom of God comes indeed without our say-so, but we pray in this petition that it would come among us as well. That's exactly what we do when we care for creation. We pray to God that it would come among us also. 
We anticipate the day when it will be. We live in defiance of the old order, anticipating what God will do, recognizing the crumbling and decaying state of the world around us and saying, now God, I want it to be so among us. I want to see the new creation. So that's what we strive forward. That's what we strive for. But now I've, I've answered that objection and I've gotten ahead of myself because I've already talked about the end of all things and I haven't yet finished with the beginning of all things in Genesis 3. And so bear with me for a second. When we last left Genesis 3, Adam and Eve were falling into sin and the world was being cursed because of them. And the curse of the world brought about destruction and devastation of the world, but it also brought about destruction and devastation of the relationships in the world. And so as soon as they eat the fruit, Adam and Eve learn that they're both naked. And they begin to sew coverings for themselves to shield themselves from each other. But not only that, they then begin to shield themselves from God. And they begin to use God's garden in order to do it. Now now think about that for a second. The place that was given for communion with God, the place where they were allowed to dwell with God, now becomes a way that they try to hide from him. In fact, I think one of the most beautiful verses in all of chapter 3 is also one of the most tragic. And every time I read Genesis 3, this verse just jumps out at me. It says, They heard the sound of the footsteps of the Lord as he walked in the garden in the cool of the day. They heard the footsteps of the Lord. What does that sound like? As God walks in a garden of his own creation in the most beautiful time of the day. And the very next verse Continuation of that sentence says, and they were afraid and so they hid. They hid from God among the garden, among the place where they were supposed to commune with him. They now used the trees and plants that were there to try to get away. And the Lord God says, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you should hide? The sin has now broken the relationship not only with each other but with God. And in the brokenness of this relationship, this this world then becomes adversarial toward them. The eyes of both of them are open and they realize the destruction that they've wreaked. They need to be covered over and the ground becomes hard for them to work. And so listen to how Genesis 3 continues. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you you will eat fruit from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. You see, this is when work becomes work. Until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And the very next thing that God does is he provides for them out of the creation. The fig coverings are taken, and they're given clothing clothing of skin. And you see, thou... Death has entered the world. Their disobedience has brought about death. They've tried to hide from God, but they can't. And so now God begins to provide for them in a different way. And then what happens to humanity is they they take this ground which they are caused to work this ground which they are then given to work, right? As they're expelled from the garden, as they are given out now into the world to go out and to do these things, as they're taken from the ground to work the ground from which they've been taken. As they go out from that place, they begin to deify the ground. They begin to look at the ground as something that must be preserved as their mother. 
And as they look at it as their mother, they say, this is the only way that the ground is going to provide for us. And if we can somehow figure out the best way to manipulate it, to tame it, then the ground will give us all that we need and we won't ever have to worry about the creator of the ground in the first place. The ground becomes a way to hide from the creator. The Apostle Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 1. It says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever to be praised. Amen. And you see, this is how we got here. This is how we got into the situation in which we find ourselves in the midst of a crumbling world. This is how we got here. With God saying, I want you to care for creation, but not to love it over me. This is how I want to give you these things and provide for you in your daily life. And that you would always know that it comes from me, the creator God at work in your life. The God who still wants to dwell with you in the land in which he has created. The land which he has created. And so what does it mean for us? Well, first and foremost, it means that our calling has not changed. That we are still called to steward creation. We are still called to care for it. We are not called to exploit. We are called to care for creation, not at the expense of the creator, but because the creator has called us to do it. And there are so many good things that we can do. There are so many things that we can be about as we care for creation. There are so many ways, and each one of them unique, and each one of them ways that we can demonstrate that we want the kingdom of God to dwell among us now. And as we do each one of these, we are acknowledging that the world will one day be destroyed, but we are about the work of transformation. We are about the work of restoration, that we are anticipating the day when God will make all things new because all things need to be made new. And every time we do this, we defy the former order. Every time we do this, we defy the curse. And we live, we live toward the creator. In fact, Romans 8 says it this way. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. You know what that means? It means that the way that the the world is personified in the scriptures is that the world itself doesn't like the fact that it's broken and awaits the day when all things will be made new. And so then he continues, and we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. We groan inwardly as we await our adoption as sons eagerly, the redemption of our bodies. We act in defiance of the old order, anticipating the day when all things will be made new. And for this reason, we care for all that God has given us to care for. And sometimes it's hard, and sometimes it's easier. Because God still gives us glimpses in the midst of the crumbling, glimpses in the midst of the decay, that give us just a sense of what it was like and what it will be. For my money, there's about nothing more beautiful than a sunset in Arizona. And I always encourage people who haven't seen, who haven't been there before, when the sun sets, don't bother sitting and focusing on the sun going down, but instead, look at what it does to the mountains behind you and the ways that it brings out the colors and different colors that you never saw before in the mountains. And for my money, there's maybe nothing more peaceful than walking through the forest in Michigan when it's snowing 
And the snow has this tendency to dampen all the sound around you, and you can hear the snow falling on the ground all around you. And for my money, what a wonder it is that through the skill and hard work of farmers, there's beauty in the amber waves of grains of Indiana that provide food for all of us to eat and a recognition of the creator working through his creation to still care for his people. You see, God gives us little glimpses, not so that we fall in love with the world, but so that we are motivated forward to worship our creator, to worship him in obedience, and recognizing that every act of obedience is an act of worship toward our God and an act of defiance of the disobedience of sin. Every act of obedience is an act of worship toward the one who gave his life because of our disobedience. That because we live in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because we are cared for, we continue to defy sin. And so brothers and sisters, let that be your calling. Defy sin. Worship your creator. Plant some flowers. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.